You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Nothing wrong with the law, but God's saying through trying to keep the law, you realize you can't keep the law. And so there has to be righteous somewhere else, righteousness from somewhere else, because if, if there's righteousness from the law, you'll never achieve it. It's impossible. You can go to church all you want, say all the Hail Marys you want, you can do anything religious you want. It won't, it won't measure up. It won't work. In today's message, Pastor Danny will remind you that following the laws written about in the Bible does nothing for your salvation or lack thereof. The Bible has some unchanging rules, and we as humans think that if we can follow these laws, that that somehow makes us righteous in God's eyes. God doesn't want you to follow His Word on your own strength. He wants you to rest in the knowledge that no matter the things you do to earn His favor, He died for you before you could even try to earn His favor. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 2, as he begins his message, The New Covenant. Chapter 2 is where we are. You're going to need to know where Hosea is. It's near the end of the Old Testament. I'll be going to Hosea before we finish. Um, Also to the Gospel of Matthew. But we're in Mark. And if you know where Mark is, you just turn to the left. And it's the first of the four Gospel accounts. Without even going through the first two chapters of Mark, There's already been two very controversial situations between Jesus and the religious establishment of the day. Um, The first is over Jesus telling a paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. The second, after Jesus going to a tax collector's booth, uh, the tax collector's name is Levi. He's also called Matthew. And Jesus walks up to his tax collector's booth and says, follow me. Levi gets up, leaves everything behind, and follows Jesus. Levi is so excited uh, about following Jesus, he throws a party at his house uh, for Jesus. And there, there are a bunch of Matthew's friends, uh, tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees happen to show up, and the teachers of the law, and they go to Jesus' disciples, and they say, why in the world is he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? It's a very controversial situation. And he's leading his disciples into doing the same. Well, the controversy continues in chapter 2, verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? You're not doing the religious thing. And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. 
And on that day, they'll fast. No doubt he's talking about the cross and probably also the ascension when he goes back to heaven. That'll be a time when some hard times come and a time appropriate for fasting, at least on certain occasions. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Now we'll get into what all that means. Hang on. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. As they walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain because they were obviously hungry. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? To pick heads of grain on the Sabbath, according to them, was a violation of the Sabbath because you're working. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? He's talking about when David begins his uh, fugitive journey running from the wrath of King Saul. And he goes to the high priest of the day, and he, and he lies. He really lies. He says, uh, I'm on an errand for the king. Me and my men, they're holding up, waiting for me. Uh, we left in such a hurry. It's such an urgent uh, journey, urgent uh, thing the king's asked us to do. We didn't bring any provisions. Do you have anything for us? And in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread because the high priest said to David, well, the only bread we got is forbidden for you and your men. But in such a situation like this, you're on a journey for the king and, and you're working for the king. And so they eat the bread that was forbidden under the law for them to eat. It was only for the priest. So Jesus says, have you never read that? They ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, this, this, this really blows their mind. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man, referring to himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying, I've got authority over the Sabbath. I'm the son of man. I'm the Messiah. He's already said as the son of man to the paralytic, um, they said, who is this guy? Only God can forgive sins. And so he, he says, so that you may know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, take your mat, get up, go home. He takes his mat, gets up and goes home. And now he's saying to the son of man, I'm the son of man. I have authority. I'm the one that made the Sabbath. All right. And if I want the Sabbath violated and I have reasons for that to happen and I, and I allow that, I have that prerogative. I mean, it blows these guys' minds what he's claiming. And so you have two more issues. One is John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples fast. The Pharisees fast. How come, how come Jesus, how come you and your disciples don't fast? And the second, they're eating the grain as they're going through the field and they're working according to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're violating the Sabbath. So two more issues of controversy. Now, the issue of the kernels of grain. It wasn't that they were taking grain from a field that wasn't their own. And now you don't need to turn to this passage. Just listen to it. Under the law, Deuteronomy 23. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but don't put any in your basket. In other words, if you have a physical need, you can meet your need if you're hungry. Just don't take some home, you know, and put it in your cupboard. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may 
pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Same idea. You can eat some for your own personal need, but don't, you know, take some and put it at home. But it's the fact they did so on the Sabbath. And they say, it's a violation of the Sabbath. And of course, David says, well, did, did you never read what David and his companions did? They ate the consecrated bread. Now, it was bad enough to live under the Old Testament economy. When I say bad enough, it was a challenge if you lived under that economy where you have the law of Moses and everybody's trying to keep the law of Moses. So you you have the Ten Commandments and you have all the regulations that went with it. You have all these sacrifices that have to be offered and you're regularly bringing your sacrifices and the priest is offering your sacrifices and so you're trying to do as, as good as you can according to the law and yet... I mean, that's enough. But the Jewish leadership over time added man-made traditions around the law. And so they made it even worse. Jesus talked about it, Matthew 23, verse 4. They, the Jewish leaders, tie heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. You got not only trying to keep the law, now you got all these man-made traditions that they, they added to the law. And it became this religious system that was just a heavy burden. It got so bad, so bad. Luke chapter 13, it got so bad that in Luke chapter 13, verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, couldn't straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and he said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately straightened up and she straightened up and praised God. He heals her in the synagogue at a church service but it's on the Sabbath. And you would think there'd be like, oh man, praise the Lord. But look what happens. Next verse. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, he says to the church, there's six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Are you kidding me? (laughs) But Jesus again and again ran into this with the religious establishment of the day. They're so religious, but they're so blind. And these man-made traditions, they became such legalists to the point that here's a woman who's healed. Remember, Jesus would say to these guys, hey, if your ox or your donkey falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, won't you get him out? Is it right on the Sabbath to to kill or to give life, to do good or to do evil? He's trying to to give them a clue. Hey, wait, wait, your perspective is all messed up. So they became legalists. And legalism is still around today. It's around in Israel, it's around in America, it's, it's in places all around the world. In Israel, um, and I don't think every elevator, elevator in Israel has this, they might, I don't know, but a lot of them do. On the Sabbath, which begins 6 p.m. on Friday and goes through Saturday uh, at 6 p.m., that's a Sabbath, you get in an elevator, and if you're in, uh, many of the elevators are kosher elevators, what does that mean? You're not to push a button to get to your floor, because pushing a button... There's so legalism there, so much legalism that pushing a button is considered work. And so the kosher elevators stop on every floor. So if you're going to floor 10, you got to, it's going to take you longer to get there on the Sabbath because you're going to stop at two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine before you get to 10 because it's a kosher elevator. You don't push a button because that's considered work. That's the kind of, that's the kind of thing was happening in this day. They're so blind. They're so legalistic. But what we're talking about uh, here. It's not the man-made tradition being violated. We're talking about the literal violation of the law. 
and yet it's violations that God allowed, even approved of. Violations of the law within the law. Matthew's account of this story adds something that Luke leaves out. Go with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter 12. And after Jesus cites the reference to David and what he and his companions did by eating the consecrated bread, then in verse 5, he adds, Jesus says, Or haven't you read in the law on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you, that one greater than the temple is here. And again, he's, he's, he's saying, I have the authority. If I want to approve of this, I can do it. You know, God approved of it. I'm God. That's what he's saying. What's he mean by the priest in the temple desecrate the Sabbath? The book of Numbers tells us, book of Numbers tells us that according to the law, on the Sabbath day, the priests have to offer twice as many sacrifices as, a, as on any other weekday. You understand what's happening there? They're doing twice as much work on the Sabbath as they did on any other weekday. Jesus is pointing out to them, haven't you considered that? And you can just see the Pharisees really thinking hard, going, ooh, this guy's good. And yet he says they're innocent. It's a violation of the law that God allowed, that God even planned. Let me read you what I put in my notes because God gave this to me. I, I think it's so excellent. Instances of God permitting the violation of the Sabbath for the good of man proves without question God loves for, God's love for man and his intention for the Sabbath to serve man, not vice versa, which is exactly what Jesus says. He reminds him, don't you realize the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath? So what we have here is a violation of the law within the law, but these violations are meant for the good of man and are motivated by God's love for man. They are also ordained by God. In other words, this was God's will, God's intention, God's plan from the beginning of time. And so I ask the question, why? Good question. Here's why. Because there's a righteousness from God apart from law. Has nothing to do with obeying the Ten Commandments. Have nothing to do with offering the right sacrifice. Has nothing to do with religious observance. Okay? has nothing to do with law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, let's back up a verse. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Nothing wrong with the law, but God's saying through trying to keep the law, you realize you can't keep the law. And so there has to be righteous somewhere else, righteousness from somewhere else, because if, if there's righteousness from the law, you'll never achieve it. It's impossible. You can go to church all you want, say all the Hail Marys you want. You can do anything religious you want. It won't, it won't measure up. It won't work. Now, what Jesus is referring to in Mark chapter 2, when he talks about taking a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, if he does the new piece, he'll pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And then the new wine and the old wineskins. And if you do that, uh, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Uh, because the wine you put in, in the uh, old wineskins and the fermentation process causes those old wineskins to tear and it bursts and you lose the wine and the wineskins. 
Same thing with the new piece of cloth patching an old garment. It's already stretched, the old garment, and so the new piece, when, when it does so, tears the garment. What he's talking about are illustrations of the new covenant. But I was smart this time. Instead of trying to communicate 14 pages of notes, I'm only going to give you eight and a half. And we'll cover the rest next weekend. And I still got more to flesh out on that message. But we'll talk more about the old covenant versus the new covenant next week. Because one thing is clear, and we'll get into it next week, you can't mix the two. That's what Jesus is saying. You can't, you try to mix the two, it's going to mess up. It's never meant to be mixed. And we got people in our day trying to take pieces of the old and mix it with the new. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Wasn't meant to work. Well, let's deal with what we have here. These two controversial things. Now, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, and I emphasize, to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, the new covenant is revealed in the old covenant. That's why God preordained the violation of the law within the law to show you and to show us the new covenant's in the old covenant. It's revealed there. You say, where? Where? Well, some of the things we've already covered. Let me give you another one. David goes out on his balcony. He sees Bathsheba, sins for her. He commits adultery with her. Tries to cover it up, doesn't work. He lies. He becomes a hypocrite. And he also becomes a murderer. He's an adulterer. He's a hypocrite. And he's a murderer. And as an adulterer and a murderer under the law, he should be executed. And if justice is going to be done, David has to die. No favoritism, no favoritism. And you might think it's favoritism because, hey, Nathan the prophet comes, confronts David. He's caught. He confesses his sin and he doesn't die. But it's not favoritism. There's another word for it. It's called grace. There's a second word you put right by it. It's called mercy. Because Nathan the prophet says to David, God has forgiven your sin. The adultery, the murder. God's forgiven your sin. Not only that, God's going to continue to bless you. That's called grace. Mercy's not getting what I do deserve. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. And so within the law, you have a living story of David who sins and should have died and should have suffered uh, the wrath of God under the law, but he receives mercy and he receives grace. That's in the law. It's a violation of the law. Zechariah. Now, I didn't tell you we were going to Zechariah, but if you can find Hosea, you can find Zechariah. <laughs> Zechariah, easier than Hosea, because it's the next to the last book in the Old Testament, just before Malachi, which is just before Matthew, the New Testament. So Zechariah, fascinating chapter, chapter 3. The high priest in that day is named Joshua, not the Joshua that led them across the Jordan into the land of promise, different Joshua. Verse 1, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Just trust me, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Christ. Christ, not an angel, the angel of the Lord. That's Christ, before he became the person Jesus. And Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. Revelation tells us Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He has something to accuse us of. Guess why? We're dirty. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? What fire? Fires of hell. 
what he deserved. Because even though he's a high priest, he's just like any one of us. He's a sinner. Now, Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel, Christ. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. There's mercy and then there's grace. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then verse 8, listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. What? A cleansing? Undeserved? Yes. I'm going to bring my servant the branch. Trust me, the branch is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's who the branch is. And then the end of verse 9, and I'll remove the sin of this land in a single day. Cool stuff. We won't get into Abraham today, but the new covenant is also the Abrahamic covenant. God said to Abraham, Genesis 15, 6, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Or Genesis 15. And then in verse 6, he said, as Abraham believed this, and because he believed it, God credited Abraham righteousness based on his belief that through a seed, a person coming for the lineage of Abraham, all the nations of the earth be blessed. We know without question, Galatians confirms for us that the seed is Christ, the branch, the Messiah. And through Christ, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because he's the Messiah of the world. Red, yellow, black, and white. All are precious in his sight. And that's the only way to be saved, through him. Abraham believed God. He believed the gospel, the coming Messiah. And God credited him righteousness. You have it all through the Old Testament. Jeremiah, this is the last one. There are more we could go to, but Jeremiah... Chapter 31, verse 33, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And that's a prophecy related to the salvation of Israel yet in a future day, in one day. But this covenant that he's going to make, he says, I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. That's the new covenant. First controversy, second controversy, that's what we've dealt with. Let's deal with the first one. Jesus' disciples not fasting like John the Baptist and like the Pharisees. As far as I know, the only time the Old Testament law actually commanded and required that the people fast was on the Day of Atonement. It's the most solemn of all the seven feasts that Israel was to celebrate. And the atonement, just let me give you a summary of it. It's an all-for-one, one-for-all sacrifice that even though you've done all the other sacrifices under the law, this one is just an all-for-one, one-for-all, cover the sins of the nation. And it speaks of the sacrifice of Christ. Hebrews says every time they did the Day of Atonement, it was an annual reminder of their sins. They got to do it a year, they got to do it another year, and then they do it every year. Annual thing, Day of Atonement. And they were required to fast. It was a solemn occasion. But generally, 
uh, beyond that required time under the law, there were three main reasons to fast, mourning someone's death, mourning over sin, or seeking God in prayer. Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he walks us through the book of Mark. This New Testament gospel book conveys a fast-paced progression of events that occurred during Jesus' ministry. It's almost as if the writer intended to communicate that Jesus was continually forward-thinking toward the cross and his mission and purpose here on earth. In Mark 10.45, it says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the ultimate summary of the book of Mark. Jesus came humbly as a servant to reach the lost. Are you feeling lost today? Or have you been found and are following Jesus fully now? No matter what your answer is, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Let us know how you heard about the living word and how we can be praying for you. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope that you'll join us again for our next edition, right here on The Living Word.